welcome to the Como Factor podcast. We are thrilled for our guest today. His name is Alan Lazarus, and he's the founder and host of Next Level University. And you're going to hear more about this. It's a global top 100 self-improvement podcast with more than 800 episodes, and they reach over half a million people in more than 100 countries. Now, that's impressive, you guys. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. So welcome to our show, Alan. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that wonderful intro. It is wild. So many dreams have come true. Uh, I remember the very first year, like I was telling you, uh, we only had 1,058 listens in the entirety of the first year, and we got more than that in one day last week. So it's exciting, it's awesome, and I'm happy to be here. That's so amazing, Alan. I love it. Well, why don't we build on that? And uh, would you be would you mind just sharing for our listeners a little bit? Just tell us a little bit more about who Alan is. So I'll try to give you the. So I just I just surpassed uh, or surpassed. <laughs> I'm 33 as of this past Wednesday, and oh. so it's hard to unpack 33 years in a short interview. But I'll try to give you sort of the the things that I've found most impactful over the last 33 years that I think can provide some context into who I am because it's not just the message, it's the messenger. So um, I came into this this world um, and at two years old, almost three, my father passed away in a car accident when he was 28 years old. Hmm. And so um, I'm definitely no stranger to adversity. And the more I tell you about sort of my upbringing, I think that would become clear. Um, and there was many wonderful things about my childhood, but there was also a lot of adversity. And so I also had a stepfather from age basically three to 14. My stepfather left when I was uh, 14 years old. And we went from basically fairly well off. Um, you know, we were literally uh, building a custom yacht uh, together as a family um, to literally, I, I got free lunch at school after he left because he had all the income. Um, and so after that, I really buckled down academically and worked really hard to kind of get scholarships and financial aid and that kind of thing. But one pivotal moment that really shaped me and still shapes me today. And to this day, the best lesson I've ever gotten was something my mom taught me. I was seven years old and she basically always had this, these ways of explaining things to me. And she always would lecture me. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. She would always try and explain things to me and still does, by the way. Um, so seven years old, and basically, she said, Alan, you can be a CEO or you can be a farmer. I'm going to love you either way. But you got to aim high because life is about choices. And if you aim high, you'll have choices. And so if you're a CEO, you can wake up one day and decide you want to be a farmer, but it doesn't necessarily work the other way around. And I once told that story. Someone got really offended and was like, my aunt's a farmer. They work so hard. I'm, I'm not trying to offend anyone. My mom was trying to talk to a seven-year-old, right? But basically that lesson of aim high and you'll have choices is the through line of my life. And I aimed very, very, very high. So I'm 13 years old and um, she said, Alan, I'm going to take a chance on you. And to this day, it's actually a little bit crazy that she, she did this because she really did trust this. Um, she's like, I'm going to let you take eighth grade off. So up to this point, I was a straight A student, couple Bs, but very academically inclined, always did really well in school. And she said, I'm gonna let you take eighth grade off. Just go have fun. But you have to promise me that you'll get the president's award in high school. So the president's award in high school 
is basically you need a 95 or above out of 100 GPA on every report card. So four years, four report cards, 16 report cards straight, not a single B. So I did get 189 B plus in honors English, Miss Desolate. Never took honors English again. <laughs> By the way, I was more of a math guy. And I ended up going to my dream college. I got the president's award. I was a computer engineer at a school called Worcester Polytechnic Institute. It's sort of like a mini MIT, for those of you who don't know. One of the best tech schools in the planet. And I was electrical and computer engineer. And then, um, and at the time, my hero was actually Steve Jobs. And so um, I remember literally being in macroeconomics class and I, I saw his 2005 Stanford address. And this was way later. I think this was around 2010 or 2011. And I literally got up out of class and I remember me and my roommates, my friends created a company called Campus Libre. I ended up finishing my master's in business and my computer engineering degree, but I started to really soul search from that point on and really dive into really entrepreneurial thinking. And um, Campus Libre ended up having a falling out. Uh, we were profitable out of the gate, but the team ended up breaking up and I went into corporate America. Did a bunch of soul searching in corporate America, as I know both of you have done as well. We talked a little bit. And I worked for a company called iRobot on their marketing team. I worked out in LA for a time. Uh, I worked for a software company called Oz Development, software startup. I worked for a company called Sensata Technologies, which used to be uh, Texas Instruments. So that was a big company. I was a global product manager there. Eventually, landed at a company called Cognex. Cognex uh, sells industrial automation equipment into manufacturing facilities. So machine vision equipment. So if you picture a camera that takes pictures of every water bottle that goes down a line and makes sure that it measures the size of the cap and quality assurance type stuff. And I managed... So I, I started an inside sales team at Cognex. Uh, there was four or five of us. And then I got promoted to outside sales and I managed all of Western New England. So I my territory was Vermont, Western Massachusetts, and all of Connecticut. Uh, you know, customers like Frito-Lay, that kind of thing. Manufacturing facilities. So I'm 26 years old at this point, right? And I achieved so many of my dreams. I, you know, had graduated with high distinction with a computer engineering degree from one of the top technical schools in the world. Um, I got my master's in business. Uh, Steve Jobs was a hero of mine. My goal was to be a Fortune 50 CEO of a tech company. And so I was climbing the corporate ladder, so to speak. And um, I'm making almost $200,000 a year. I paid off all my $84,000 worth of school debt in one year. In 2014, I paid it all off. Good I, for you. Uh, thank That's you so awesome. much. It was very freeing, very beautiful mm -hmm. thing. Um, and yeah, thank you for that. So I had all this money. I had a beautiful girlfriend. I had tons of, tons of corporate friends, tons of college friends, tons of high school friends. I, I was invited to every party, every barbecue. And I was living, you know, I achieved all my dreams that I thought, you know, other than being a CEO of a fortune 50 company, but I was on my way to that, to be completely transparent. Um, but I wasn't really that fulfilled. And this really woke me up at 26. So I'm 26 years old and I'm up in New Hampshire with my little cousin. He's 17. We're playing Call of Duty. And um, we go to TGI Fridays. We're not drinking. We're not partying. Nothing like that. Um, we go into TGI Fridays. This was in 2015. And the, the snow banks were so high in New Hampshire that they were up above the street signs. There's this really... It's a dark winter night, cold winter night. And there's this intersection. I thought the road stayed right. It actually stayed left. I looked out of the GPS, I look up and I see the brightest lights I'd ever seen. Big lift kitted truck. I thought at the time it was a Mack truck. So I had that moment where I was like, okay, 
this is the end. So there was no part of me that, that didn't think this was it because I thought it was a Mack truck. Fortunately, it was a lift kitted uh, truck up in New Hampshire. A lot, of, a lot of people have lift kits on their pickup trucks. And I was driving a 2004 Volkswagen Passat, which I used to call it the tank. It was a German engineered steel trap of a car. I used to literally call this thing the tank. Both airbags deployed. My cousin hurt his knee. I hurt my face on the airbag. So physically, we were okay. Mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I was absolutely like messed up, devastated. Because remember, I've seen the pictures of my father's car. Yeah. Okay. And I've, I, typically in my speeches, I'll show the picture of my car. And they don't look very different. So I'm 26 at the time. My dad died when he was 28 in a car accident. So I am messed up mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I'm sitting in an armchair questioning my entire life that night. And it was nothing short of brutal in terms of just regret and life contemplation and choices I had made. And it was just like overwhelming. And so now I live by the simple quote that I say on the podcast and speeches and all that. And it's basically this, you can't see the stars during the day. They're always there, but sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which we simply could not within the light. And so that darkness, that dark time, that emotional pain, spiritual pain, mental pain, really showed me two stars that I had never seen before. One is Tony Robbins' TED Talk. And regardless of what you think of Tony, his TED Talk is truly unbelievable. Best one ever, ever created, in my opinion. Number two, and more importantly, a woman by the name of Bronnie Ware from Australia. We've actually since interviewed her. She wrote a book, and it's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Okay, now, obviously, after that car accident, I'm questioning my life. I'm living with regret. And of course, of, of course, I notice a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. To this day, I have flash a flashcard in my pocket. I have a bunch of flashcards in my pocket. One of them has the top five regrets of the dying on it. And it's actually not in my bucket. It's right over there I'm in my office. Um, so got to be honest. Um, but normally it's always in my pocket. And basically, Bronnie Ware worked in hospice for eight years with the terminally ill. And she wrote this book because she noticed these same common patterns. She thought her job was to take care of people. What her real job was to listen. And so she listened and she heard, I wish, I wish, I wish over and over and over again. And she noticed these common patterns of regret. The number one regret of the dying is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. So again, that was my wake up call. That was like, oh my God. Okay. So my mom taught me, aim high, you'll have choices. And she was right. But did I ever really find and follow my own calling? And after this, after this book, after that's when I found self-improvement. That's when I found holistic self-improvement. That's when I started to really contemplate not just the achievement. I was always an achiever, but really the way in which the man I was, because at the end of the day, that's the questions I was asking myself. Am I proud of the man that I've become? I believe fulfillment and regret are the two best teachers. Fulfillment is the soul's recognition of alignment with its highest calling. Regret is misalignment. It's, it's the soul's recognition of misalignment with its highest calling. And that's really what I'm here, hopefully, to, to help everyone listening with today. Alan, I mean, you've got us on the edge of, of our seats here, and I'm sure our listeners are feeling the same way. I mean, what an incredible story. You're so driven. 
you know, your, your mother instilled these, uh, I would say lessons and, and mindsets in you from such an early age. And you went after all that. And then you had this turning point where, you know, you got that, you got that clarity and you're driving towards your purpose. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic, um, story. Um, I didn't want to interrupt you. There's, uh, there, there were so many great, uh, so many great points there. But uh, I would come back to you said you're you're writing a book and and a question we like to ask our um, our guests is if your life story were published in a book, what would that book title be? And and maybe you could share that. And is your book about that or is it about something else? I'm really interested. I appreciate the kind words and I appreciate the inquiry regarding my book. So the book is called Optimizing for Fulfillment. Um, I'm still in the the process of writing it. Um, but the very first page, I read it to my girlfriend recently, and it literally says, like, this is not a book that's fun. This is not a book that's going to make you feel better about your current state. This is a book that's about who you aspire to be and really maximizing your potential. And this this book is for serious people who want serious results. It's not a fluffy, feel-good book. Um, and And that's the best way I can describe it is Fulfillment usually comes through overcoming challenges and doing hard but necessary things towards your greatest self. Pleasure is the opposite. Pleasure is the things that are fun and easy. And I don't wish for anyone to have a, a, a fun and easy life. I wish for them to have a challenging but deeply meaningful and fulfilling life. And I think that's really the main thesis. Wow. Do you uh, totally put me on the spot here? Do you have a, a time frame on when you plan to publish this book? I really appreciate it. So um, now that I'm saying it publicly, I want to publish it in 2022. At Good some point you. in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Sonal and I published our first book in February of this year. So we'd be happy to share some tips and tricks with you. Thank um, you. And congratulations. That's a huge, huge W. Yes. Um, I know to some people it doesn't seem like a lot, but writing a book is a whole thing. Um, and it's a very humbling experience. It It sure is. It sure is. So, um, so you've shared with us a whole bunch about really how you got to where you were and really that, that pivot point of your, of your transformation. When we look at where you are right now, you're 33 years old. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me when I I listen to all the things you accomplished and you're like, yeah, I was 26. I mean, really guys, (laughs) listen to that. That's it's, it's incredible. Um, so you're 33 now. What would be some of your life goals that you've got? What do you, what are you looking forward to, to, to live your best self? So, and I really, again, I appreciate the kind words. It's interesting because you don't really realize how much of an achiever you are until you look back and you're like, you know, yeah, that is, I guess, not that normal. Um, but, <laughs> um, and that's the interesting thing too, that I'll give everybody. It's, you know, 33, you, every year I kind of reread the book of my life, so to speak. And every year you just get so much more clarity on who you are and who you're not. And um, I'll say this too. My girlfriend asked me recently, like what's going to be different in your 33 years. She always asked me the best questions ever. Mm. Um, I, I usually say I have the best coach in the world. Cause like the pillow talks we have are usually questions that are so contemplative. It's if I had a nickel for every time we had a deep conversation, I, 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 uh, I would have enough revenue for, for life. Um, but basically I, I told her this, I said, I'm not going to go outside of alignment anymore for anyone or anything. And what does that mean, really? It means I'm now crystal clear on who I am and why I'm here. And the reason I know that now is because I was that way even when I didn't know I was that way. So like as a kid, I, 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 I tell this story uh, briefly. 
that I think is funny, but it's also indicative of, of my calling. I had a buddy, uh, Kiki is what we used to call him and dearest friend growing up. And I remember one time he sat me down, he said, Alan, you know, you don't got to be the best at everything. And I remember I was a little kid and I said, no, Kiki, you don't have to be the best at everything. (laughs) I do. And that was my sort of little childish ego version of, I need to maximize my potential. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I didn't realize that at the time, to be honest, I, I, I understand why people, you know, saw me as arrogant or whatever. Um, at the end of the day, that's really my calling is maximizing my potential and helping others do the same. And to answer your original question, it really comes down to what do I want to achieve? What do I want to achieve is I have a mission statement that, that is on an, another one of those flashcards I told you about. And mm-hmm. it, it's basically to create an online marketplace that can provide an extraordinary education at an affordable price to anyone in the world. And basically, so that it can give them the belief in themselves to create an, a brighter future on their own terms, but also the skills, help them develop the skills necessary to succeed and flourish in the 21st century. You've been listening to the Como Factor podcast, a show featuring personal and professional transformation stories. Hosted by transformation practitioners and co-founders of the Como Group, Christine Strobush and Sonal Trevetti. If you like our show, please give us a rating and a review, and be sure to share our podcast with your friends, colleagues, or family. If you'd like to follow along online, join our community on LinkedIn, and bookmark our website, thecomofactor.com, to receive show updates and inspirational content daily. Alan, I love that you took your personal transformation and basically had that drive, um, the professional aspect as well. So it's it's truly holistic and almost full circle. Were you inspired by by anybody along the way as as you you know came up with this idea of of serving others? You mentioned Tony Robbins, and you know he talks a lot about um, how the path to success is to take massive, determined action. But um, you know, an idea alone isn't enough, right? So. What, who were you inspired by? And was there a role model along the way that, um, that you looked up to? Yeah, great question. And I think it's important. It's important for people to have heroes and role models and heroines. And, and for me, I, I actually, um, the very first YouTube video I ever posted, it's actually still up. Um, and it's terrible, (laughs) but it was called real life superheroes. And uh, I had a lot. I have fictional heroes. I have in-person mentors. I have, you know, um, heroes that that I never met. Um, I I I could give you like a pretty long list, honestly, of of these people that I looked up to. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins for sure. Wayne Dyer. Uh, you know, um, Greg Plitt was a fitness athlete that I looked up to a long time. Kobe Bryant is also a huge hero of mine. Um, and always has been. And really what I realize again is those are the people that were focused on maximizing their potential and their greatest level of impact as well. And I, I'm realizing now having interviewed some of my actual heroes that um, the world got a lot more flat for me in terms of, um, I think as a little boy not having a father, and this has only become clear to me recently, by the way. So I'm, I don't want to pretend that I've always had these amazing insights. Um, but recently I came to realize that like, a lot of people's success really does come down to them being like really, really good and consistent at like a couple things. And I can give some examples, right? So Meryl Streep is an actress. 
unbelievable actress, 13 Academy Awards, right? But I'm sure she's not that great at everything. And so I think we tend to put people on pedestals. And, and now I fully understand that because now I've coached people all over the world and I have some clients who are, you know, super successful multimillionaires. And you realize that like, we're all trying to figure this thing out. And very few people, and this is something I'll share, very few people are holistic. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, the truth of the matter is one of the reasons we built Next Level University around health, wealth, and love is because we looked out there at our heroes and it's like, okay, well, they're very wealthy, but they're not healthy. And then it's like, well, okay, they have amazing family life, but their fitness isn't on point. And it's like, oh, well, their fitness is on point, but they're not very wealthy. So very few people, in my honest opinion, whether anyone likes it or not, very few people are truly healthy, wealthy, and have magnificent relationships. I mean, I know some mentors who take better care of their car than they do their own kids. Um, I shouldn't say mentors, but, but people that I know of. And then I know some people who take unbelievable care about their kids, but don't know anything about finance. And so for me, it never made sense to me. It never made sense to me to be, you know, successful in one facet. It's just, it's just never made sense to me. It's never clicked. Even some of my like John Maxwell's amazing and I love his books. And, but th there's a small part of me that's like, well, why didn't he ever dial in his fitness journey? Right. And, and so I think that if I'm being transparent, the answer is yes, I've learned so much from so many people. And I've been so inspired by so many people's work and their body of work and their, their, who they are um, in person and people I've never met. And then some people that I met later, like Bronnie Ware, for example. But the truth is, is that, I think that I used to approach it from the wrong frame. I think I used to think that someone like a Steve Jobs was like um, more capable than me. And, and to be honest, as much as Steve is incredible and more capable in certain facets, I don't believe that anymore. I believe that all of us have Michael Jordan level talent at something. And I believe that we can all really double, triple, and quadruple down on our own unique potential and our own unique level of contribution. And so, no, I'm never going to beat LeBron James at basketball, um, and nor should I try, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean that LeBron James might never be the coach or consultant that I could be. And so now I live from the frame of my big three, which is coaching and consulting is number one. Number two is speaking and training. And number three is podcasting. And I don't ever stray from that lane anymore. But the truth of the matter is, is that I'm character over everything now. At 26, I had lots of success. I had multi-six figure. I was a 1% earner, blah, blah, blah. Like at the end of the day, my character genuinely matters more to me than anything else. And people ask me, what does it mean to be next level? And I say, it's what are you doing and who are you when no one's watching? To me, that is the one thing that, that matters by far the most. And it's the least focused on. And, and I'm trying to hopefully shift that in the consciousness of as many people as I can, including myself. That's great. And Christine and I can certainly relate to, you know, the holistic transformation, even with our consulting company, our book, you know, you can't do one without the other. You've, it, they go hand in hand, right? Um, otherwise, it's, it's not a true transformation. So completely, you know, agree with you on that. So I'm sure along the way, you know, as um, as you had this light bulb moment um, to fulfill a need uh, for um, for individuals and and companies out there, um, there were probably times of maybe doubt. Right? It's only human to to have um, have things happen um, that maybe um, we're questioning ourselves: Am I on the right path? 
what, what kind of tools, um, did you use, you know, um, to, to make sure that again, you stayed on course to, to really having this life of, of meaning and purpose as you were launching next level university? Yeah. Um, I, I think to answer that question, and I love the question, I, I gotta be transparent about something. Um, I've never really struggled with self-doubt. Um, wow. And, and I don't want to say like, never, never, uh, after my car accident, I definitely contemplated my own existence and who I was and that stuff like that. But when it comes to my belief in my own abilities to succeed, that's never been the kryptonite for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've since figured out, um, again, when you, when you do 800 episodes contemplating, you know, human beings, um, and how, you know, contemplating yourself, contemplating the world, contemplating people, neuroscience, computer science, all stuff. And eventually you just click these things. Right. And so, um, and thanks to my girlfriend, she brought this up. She said, Alan, there's a difference between self-belief and self-worth. And I, at the time was like, wait, what, what do you mean? And she's like, they're different. And I'm like, it didn't click. It took me a minute because I think I subconsciously assumed they were the same thing. So self-belief is your own belief in your own ability to succeed at a given endeavor. But self-worth is different. And I didn't know it until recently. Mm-hmm. I had self-worth issues for sure. Um, and whether that's losing a father or my stepdad or some of the adversities growing up or whatever, um, I now understand that self-worth was my kryptonite. Self-belief was never my issue. And so if you're out there right now listening, you if you're insecure and don't believe in your own abilities, you will probably think I'm arrogant. And that's fine, but it's actually more a reflection of your own not believing in yourself. So most people do struggle with self-belief. And that's what I've found just interviewing hundreds of people and coaching, you know, hundreds of people at this point too. But the common wound um, for a lot of people also is self-worth. I, I had a self-worth issue where I would allow others to really treat me very terribly. And what happens when you have very, very high goals, a very strong future and achievement orientation, self-worth issues, but no self-belief issues. Okay. I didn't know it at the time, but adversity became my advantage because I had self-belief. For people who don't believe in their own abilities to transform, to change, to grow, to learn, to succeed, Adversity is not an advantage. It's actually very detrimental. And here's why. Vice and virtue are universal languages. So it took me a long time to quit drinking alcohol. I'm now 850 days sober, something along those lines. I track it in a spreadsheet. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and it's, it took me seven years to get to this point. And I often joke, it took me five years to quit drinking because I kept falling off. but The point that I'm making is that virtue is a universal language. Compassion, no matter what your culture, no matter what your background, compassion is a virtue. Okay? Arrogance, no matter what your background, is always a vice. And so to me, it became very simple. How do I maximize my virtues and how do I minimize my vices in persons, places, things, and ideas? I love how um, you have such a meaningful mindset, you know, um, in really speaking about this. 
But would you have any tips or tricks for our listeners? Because I think oftentimes, you know, when we make a promise to others, right, it's very, very likely that we're going to keep it. But for whatever reason, when it when it comes to ourselves, we don't prioritize, you know, and and, and I know firsthand, even myself, um, I struggle occasionally when when I say, you know, I'm going to make the time to go to yoga and then another priority kind of takes over. But do you have any tips or tricks for our listeners in terms of how you ensure that you you keep the promises to yourself and you prioritize, you know, your goals and your vision for yourself? Yeah, very much. So uh, I think it's important to know yourself. And all of us have a certain natural inclination for selfishness or selflessness. And selfishness is serving yourself, which isn't necessarily a vice. It's actually a good thing if you're doing the doing good things. Um, and so some of us serve others much more effectively. And so what I would tell everyone is, is there's four types of people. Um, and, and every movie, every book has all four. And I'll go quick on, on this because I, I know I'm long-winded. Um, and when I learned this, it was like super powerful. Okay, there's the hero, there's the villain, there's the victim, and then there's the guide. And so Titanic's a super... Uh, successful, famous movie. So I'll use that as reference because most people know it. And I actually just watched it the other night too. Um, so the victim in that movie is Rose, the, the, the woman. And she's a victim to not only her terrible fiance, Cal, who's entitled and ego-driven and arrogant, but also a victim to society that disempowers women back in the early 1900s. Okay. And she's also sort of a victim for her mom who's like, well, we have debts hidden behind a good name. Like that's the only card we have to, you have to marry Cal, like that whole thing. So suppression. Usually the villain is suppressing a victim. And usually a guide comes in. Remember the scene in the back of the boat when she's about to jump off the back and all of a sudden Leonardo DiCaprio comes out and says like, don't do it. Like you ever been to Wisconsin? It's colder than you think. You're not just going to die. You're going to freeze. It's going to be bad. I'm going to come in with you. So the guide shows the victim a new world of some kind, it exposes them to some new world and gets them to wake up and realize that they're, they're actually a victim and they have to start being the hero. And the moment that Rose decided to answer the call and be the hero is when she went to the front of the ship. And we all know that scene, you know, when they're in the sunset and kissing, that's mm -hmm. when she finally decided, okay, I'm going to go into this new world with you. It's scary and I'm uncertain, but I know it's what's right. I'm going to follow my heart. And the villain, of course, gets super upset, right? But then the guide guides her out of that old world and into the new one. And so all of us have all four of these facets within us. We've all been villains at times because we all have ego, right? We've all been victims at times. We've all been heroes at times, you know, heroes of our own story when we answered the call. And then we're all guides in certain things. In fitness, I, I struggled and was victim for years. And then I became the hero and I, you know, won fitness shows. And now I'm a guide. I was a fitness coach for a time, right? So a lot of times people are guides when they shouldn't be. And, and that's the other thing we got to understand. You know, if I'm talking to Bill Gates, I'm going to be the, the student, not the guide when it comes to finances, right? But when it comes to fitness, I'm sure I'm going to be guiding him. And so it's important to understand these four facets and which one you are. And to understand that as long as you're not the villain in this particular context, this particular arena, then what's best for you is what's best for others. And you got to try to be be the, the, the lighthouse that guides the ships home rather than is going out and saving all these ships because that's called martyrdom and it's not really good for anyone in the long run. Yeah. 
And Christine and I both relate to what you just shared very much. So um, it's a lot like Donald Miller's um, story brand, right? Where we really use kind of these different characters um, as, as potent forces, these roles um, to really be able to create meaningful connections with, with, with oneself as well as others. Um, so I, I really love, love how you put it. Um, that's great. So we talked a lot, Ellen, um, you know, in terms of uh, the role models that you look up to and, and your heroes. And we talked about the fact that, you know, something that they all share in common is that um, they have something that they're just a superstar at, a unique quality where it's just one of a kind that they do really, really well. Um, how did you discover what, what that quality was about yourself? That's been a process over years and years and years and years and a process that's still, that's still happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's an infinite game. It's like an asymptote. You never really get there, but you get closer and closer and closer. So I think of it like a percentage. So if 100% is living in your calling, I'm, I'm definitely more percentage than when I was 16, um, but I'm not as high of percentage as I'm going to be in the future. And so the level of clarity that you heard come out of me for my genius zone of you know, coaching and consulting, speaking and training and podcasting, that's actually fairly recent. I mean, I didn't realize that the coaching and consulting piece in particular was my Michael Jordan level talent until probably the past, the last two years. Um, and it's one of those things where if anyone's out there and, and wondering theirs, it's what were you doing when you didn't even know you were doing it? And so I'll be transparent with you, you both. Um, if you have big goals and dreams, I am like going to be a great ally to you, a great relationship, a great friend, whatever, whatever. If you don't have big goals and dreams, I will, I will probably be a pain in your butt. Like <laughs> you most likely won't even like me if I'm honest. And, and I, I've come to realize this. If I'm going to be disliked, at least I'm going to be disliked for who I actually am. You asked for some tools for, for the listeners to be able to find themselves and stay in alignment. Core aspirations is about the future the future you design in advance and build towards. Core values is how you show up in the present. These are your virtues, okay? Core beliefs are usually from the past, okay? And you got to rewire, recondition those, dig them up, figure them out. What do you got to change, okay? If you don't believe in yourself enough, you got to fix that, okay? Alignment is core values in alignment with core aspirations and fueled by core beliefs. See, if you don't have core aspirations, you and I being in, a, in any sort of relationship, friendship, partnership, business relationship, whatever, is not that aligned for me. I'll be completely transparent. And I, I learned that. I'm 33 now. Like I learned that. What, I looked back at my life and I was like, oh, okay. So for me, I was always super future-oriented, super achievement-oriented, always focused on maximizing my potential. And for those of you who are not out there trying to maximize your potential, I'm probably not going to be someone that you're going to want to resonate with or be around. Um, and vice versa. And, and I think that it's diversity that makes this world so amazing. So I'm not saying your way is wrong and my way is right. What I will say is that your calling is probably different. And the person's places, things, and ideas that you should be surrounding yourself with to maximize your calling is probably different than mine. And that's okay. Indeed. And I think you've uh, summarized that beautifully for, for us and listeners. It really starts with believing in yourself and having self-worth. So as we kind of um, wind down here, um, Alan, think back to yourself 20 years ago. If you could write a postcard to yourself 
20 years ago. What, what would that say and why? It would say have the courage to be who you actually are um, and stop trying to get approval from people who might not value what you are. Um, stop going into rooms with people who don't value what you naturally embody and lean into having the courage to be who you really know you are deep down, because believe it or not, that's a wonderful thing. And that's what, exactly what the world needs. Alan, thank you so much uh, for joining us and listeners. We will have Alan's contact information in our show notes. If you'd like to learn more about uh, Next Level University and we look forward to uh, your book next year. Thank you so much for joining us. You definitely have the Kamal Factor. Let it shine. Thank you so, so much for having me. Uh, this was one of the most wonderful interviews. I'm not not kidding. I, I really mean that because you've helped me understand myself at a deeper level by asking deeply meaningful questions. Um, and uh, thank you so much for having me. It's very clear to me that you two are definitely, anyone who's listening to your show is getting massive value. I know that for sure. <laughs>